You know that the caravan was a staple for the fan family. The caravan is what oh, we called boy, it. Yeah, it's like, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, no, but not not to not to digress, but I um I, I listen like I've been in this business for a long time and like minivans to us are like they're like a Rolex like we really value that because people love them they're very profitable like they're super like they spoil you and it's like people outsiders that are not in the industry like oh minivan like ew uh, but you know we could have won for like the Yukon Denali or whatever but like I was like nah I, I want the minivan uh, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got Trunk fan Bilal Zaidi here unfortunately Jack Butcher couldn't join it today but we have a special guest car dealership guy the anonymous twitter account is here with us today what's going on dude? pseudonymous pseudonymous sorry not, go yeah. on yeah not, not so anonymous anymore with the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, what, well let's get straight into it man how's that been coming out as uh i'm sure people have been texting you saying i recognize your voice or whatever or they oh i guess you're doing video i'm assuming you're not doing video for the podcast no so what i'm doing is you know i'm I actually i'm working with an animator and so it's been, it's, it's a unique twist that I haven't seen done uh, many times, but I'm, I'm basically animating myself and then the guest is on Zoom. So it's, uh, I think it's, you know, really cool to build a brand around this. Look, clearly launching a podcast, I wouldn't do that if I really care too much about staying anonymous, but I think that it just provides a nice way to, you know, really continue leveraging the brand, the mystique behind it. And um, it's just not, I didn't even plan on doing this. This is the funniest part about all this stuff that, I didn't plan on launching a podcast Twitter account. I just kept saying, "Hey, like I'll challenge myself." I was, you know, obviously inspired by others. It's it's just been a very fluid experience, and it's uh, it keeps growing. So I'm just having a great time and enjoying the process along the way. But just to give our listeners and uh, uh, viewers some background here is uh, so you're heavily involved in the car industry. You own uh, used car art, car dealerships. Period. Is this correct? Correct. So I I, I grew up in the car business in many different roles. And eventually went into management, went into ownership, launched another company along the way. Uh, really, I, I think what the perspective I bring that's unique to the market is that I've seen the business from the ground floor as you know someone that sold cars. I've also been in the business, seen the business, and I'm active in the business, you know, in the boardroom with the institutional investors, um, you know, and uh, really bridging that gap from the Excel spreadsheets to the actual sale. I think that's what lacks in many industries and definitely our industry and just showing the average person, right? Taking a complex topic or an industry that's just like so fucking opaque and people are like, what is going on? What is wrong with the car business and making it, putting it in normal people words, explaining it like a third grader. That's sort of what I, you know, my shtick and what I try to focus on. That, that was actually the very first question I want to ask because I think a lot of people's experiences with like, you know, there's a perception around used car dealers, right? And like used car dealerships. Oh, yeah. And I know it's because I've had to deal with quite a few. Rule number one, do not do trade-ins. Is that a good rule? <laughs> do not do trade-ins because you'll get your face ripped off. No, what I wanted to ask is... I feel the anger in Trunks voice yes, there. You can feel it's been ripped got, off I a few times. I got absolutely ice on a 93 or a 2003 caravan. But anyways, what I wanted to ask a uh, car dealership guy was, can you actually give us kind of the TLDR download on actually how important it, the car dealership industry is to the economy and the auto industry in general? Yeah, look, well, first of all, I think any rule is not perfect. So I, I typically, I, you, you could actually get a better deal with a trade-in because remember, you're giving the dealer a chance to double dip, right? They can retake that car, resell it. Um, you can get tax advantages in certain states um, um, by trading a vehicle. And so trade-ins are actually a very good negotiation tool for, for most consumers. 
And of course, you know, it depends on the deal you make. You, anyone can make a bad deal. Um, so, you know, that there's a lot of nuances there. Regarding your question, look, I think the most interesting thing about the car business in the last couple of years, and the reason my account has had so many tailwinds is just the fact that the industry has been very, very fluid. There's been so much change happening in the car business. And it's also been an incredible leading indicator, economic leading indicator for the economy. Um, if you think about what is a car business, right? Well, number one, people are buying uh, arguably the second largest purchase they're going to make in their lifetime, a car right behind a house. So it's a very meaningful item that they're consuming. Second thing is it has direct ties to many other important industries, such as lending. And so you get to instantly see kind of, you know, the relationship between lending. Remember, there is no car business without lending. You just, you know, people are, everyone's by, um, financing their cars. It's very rarely that we see people pay cash nowadays or, you know, full price for upfront. And so it's just, there's all these different parts of the economy that are intertwined and they're all impact the car business. And I think what we've seen is cars have sort of turned into, you know, it feels like we're in a stock market. It's just, it's no longer like cars have a normal depreciation curve where every, every year, you know, the cars fall, who knows, I mean, you know, 15% in value or, or, or whatever, whatever the depreciation we expect. I mean, these cars are, you know, car prices and values are going up and down on a quarterly basis, like a stock. And so it's just become extremely confusing for consumers on what to do, you know, where to buy, how to buy, are these good rates, bad rates, bad prices. And my goal is to demystify that and to make it super easy for people to understand, right? To deliver those transparent insights so people can make informed decisions. At the same time, I'm also very active in speaking to the industry. I'm not just a consumer play. Rather, I break interesting people that are doing innovative things in the car business because I want to really own the market and be able to share a perspective that's completely 360. I mean, the, the auto lending part and the second biggest purchases, right? That's what like the 50,000 foot level a lot of people don't think about is... I mean, you're talking about, you know, the mortgage-backed securities is a very big asset class, but so are auto-backed loans, right? Yeah, it's it's a major asset class. I mean, auto loans are still much smaller, you know, in total than real estate. I want to say it's like close to like a tenth of it. So it's it's significantly, you know, smaller market. But look, you know, the total auto loans or total auto sales annually, I mean, it's over a trillion dollars. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's extremely meaningful for the economy. And, um, you know, we've seen, obviously, we've seen dips in the last couple of years as, or at least on, on units sold as there's been all these supply issues, uh, you know, nonetheless, that's slowly starting to recover as well. Uh, but it's, it's just obviously a very meaningful part of the economy. Well, I remember in, uh, in, in the winter, you basically were just, you're tweeting out, Hey, we're looking at some data. We're seeing some like weakness or softness on the loan side. Right. And then like two months later, Bloomberg wrote about it. Was this kind of like the idea of like being a way leading indicator or something on the inside? I think what I'm constantly doing is I'm constantly assessing what we're seeing, you know, on the ground floor and just the data. And what I've realized is I've re I realized this a couple of years back, but it's crazy how connected the car business is because whenever, um, whenever there's like a trend within our dealership or we're seeing you know, like sales are suddenly, you know, over this month increasing a certain percentage, whatever it may be, it's unbelievable how well it correlates to like the bigger players in the market. It's almost like consumers all move in unison. And so I had this insight, you know, a couple of years back where I started realizing like, oh my God, like I, I'm, I can literally predict what's happening in the market in a way, right? I thought perfect, but it gives you a lot of insight. And so, you know, sharing that on Twitter has obviously amplified that to the world. But specifically in December, I, I was talking about how the car business, you know, lenders have just lost it and they're making these, you know, crazy loans to consumers that don't really make any sense. 
And I mean, lo and behold, since then, all we've seen is tightening by the lenders. Um, I, I tweet about this constantly, but lenders, it's just gotten a lot tougher to get a loan for a car, period. Unless you have perfect credit, you know, you're paying higher interest, you're, you're financing lower loan to value. It just, it, it just got a lot tougher for the average consumer. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much spoke about it in December and it's, it's just since then, we, you know, we've seen lenders that had tightened a lot. Um, and it's just, it, it hasn't been easier on the consumer or dealers. Blah, have you ever seen a car Sorry, I had a quick no, point I want to ask you, Blah. Have you ever seen car dealership guys tweets where he'll be like, he'll be like car one, you know, like $10,000 gets you to work. <laughs> car two is like $60,000, like you're broke, but also gets you to work. Like same thing, right? It's like, it's almost as if you're giving this larger financial, I mean, like how much does that matter to you? Uh, to kind of make those because those often do go viral. This setup of it is to go viral, yeah. but a bit of it too. Is like you're 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 kind of being like guys, like relax here. You must see this a lot in person. Like, are you communicating those same ideas? Yeah. Look, I think that it's in our best interest as dealers to sell you a car you can afford because at the end of the day, you're you'll come back, you'll trade it in, you won't have a repossession in your credit. I'll sell you another car. You know, we've been in business for well over a decade. We've sold three, four, five cars to people. And so I just think like, you know, short-sighted dealers are going to try to clobber you into some loan and, you know, you'll work back or whatever. The reality is like, well, smart dealers, and there's a lot of smart dealers think long-term, you know, they're going to really try to take care of you and, and earn our customer for life because that lifetime value is very significant. So I think that's on that, on that. but I, I want to mention an important point. You mentioned that tweet because like you clearly, I'm sure you're doing this because you're, you're, you're very good at Twitter. But you know, I, I treat Twitter very much, it's it's very much like a science experiment for me because all these tweets, you know, I, I go from talking about industry news to anecdotes to per personal finance. I'm constantly assessing like what do people resonate with and what do people want to see more of? I'm like a I've sort of like trained my brain to be like the algorithm where I'm I'm seeing like what do you know, it's like, oh, people really like enjoy this content. Let me let me do more personal finance. And so I'm constantly, you know, testing. And I'm saying, I'm seeing, oh, people really like these kind of like punchy, you know, like one, two tweets with like a little cool meme, then I'll keep doing that because that's what people want. That's one example. And of course I believe in the tweets that I make, like these are, you know, I can make any tweet that's a meme format, but especially the ones you mentioned, um, you know, I just, I'll put out some real content and I believe it. I think people will enjoy it. Bilal, did you uh, want to hit that yeah, question? Yeah, well, no, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit before, but I wanted to go into it in a bit more detail. You talked about supply chain and constraints during the pandemic or whatever. And, and we all saw that kind of meme of, you know, you bought a car for, you know, 20 grand and some, for some reason now it's worth 30 grand and everyone's like, what the hell? The world is upside down. So I'm just curious to get a temperature check. Like, where are we now in relation to that? Because I, I'm not a massive car guy. Like I live in New York. I, I don't own a car. I did when I lived in London a long time ago. But, um, so from the outside, I'm, I'm just curious to hear like how it's kind of settled, settled down now. Yeah, look, cars become really important when you move to the suburbs. I can tell you that. <laughs> you can imagine. Um, go go so to Costco, like, man. How are you going to get there, boy? I know, dude. I'm like at Costco like once a week. I love that place. Oh, yeah. It's the um, best. Look, so it's kind of a tale of two worlds right now in the car business. New car supply is up 70% year over year, right? We have about 1.7 million available units right now. Whereas used car supply is down about 30 to 40% year over year. Uh, available used to supply on dealer lots, that is. And we have about 2 point, you know, around, around 2 million units available. So again, tale of two worlds. Now, why is this happening? Well, we didn't produce as many cars as we should have over the last three years. Specifically, we underproduced 8.6 million new cars. 
And so, you know, you could say some of that has been outweighed by people keeping their cars longer, repairing them and whatnot. But at the end of the day, we underproduced a shitload of cars. And so you're facing a situation where interest rates have gone up, making everything more expensive, and you have a shortage of used cars in the market. And it just has kept prices. It's really buoyed prices significantly. Now, we are seeing good progress on the new car side. I think this is a silver lining. You know, we just had the first month since 2021 where the average car, new car sold in the U.S. sold for under MSRP. And so we're seeing really good progress, but you got to remember, that's not equally distributed, right? You have like most of the domestic brands like Stellantis, which is like, you know, Chrysler, Jeep, um, you know, Ram and, you know, GM, like most of these brands are the brands that have inventory, right? They have high day supply available. You could actually get a deal on the Jeep right now. I just tweeted about this like an hour ago about what's going on with Jeep. And, you know, it went viral because people are like, wow, like this is, you know, crazy what's happening. On the other hand, the Asian brands, which are super desirable, um, I actually just traded in and um, an Audi that I had because we were, you know, families crowded, and we got um, we got a Toyota Sienna. So never thought I'd be driving a minivan. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> like, yeah. yeah so. If people are only listening, you gotta see trunks. You gotta go to YouTube just to see trunks <laughs> grin right now. Let's fucking go! I love you it. You know that. That caravan was a staple for the fan family. The caravan is what oh, we called boy. it. Caravan. It was like, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's no, but not not to not to digress, but I um I I listen, like I've been in this business for a long time and like minivans to us are like they're like a Rolex. Like we really value that because people love them. They're very profitable. Like they're super like they spoil you. And it's like people outsiders that are not in the industry, they're like, oh, minivan, like ew. Uh, but, you know, we could have won for like the Yukon Denali or whatever. But like, I was like, no, nah, I, I want the minivan. Anyways, Mini- long story, long story <laughs> short. Ball out su- sometimes, man, you know. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> Super desirable. And look, Toyota, Lexus, Kia, Honda, um, you know, Hyundai, like all these brands, you just, it's really tough to get their inventory right now. For the most part, you're still paying over MSRP. So it's a tale of two worlds right now where the Asian brands are super hot and the domestic brands, you know, supply is rising and you could probably get a better deal on those cars right now. You mentioned a lot of names there. And obviously in the second half of the 20th century, there's a big battle with the rise of the South Korean and Japanese cars, uh, basically everything you mentioned there. So this is the question I had the- is there actually a difference between cars at this point? Because, you know, like when you look at all these commercials for vehicles, nobody talks about features anymore. It's all about selling you Matthew McConaughey's lifestyle, right? It's like, if you want to be Matthew McConaughey, drive the Lincoln. It's like, basically, the feature sets, is there actually any difference between all the cars you got to mention? It depends, right? Like, so look, if you look at certain things, for example, like everything is getting commoditized. And Apple, for example, they have CarPlay. Um, and CarPlay, you know, it's like the entertainment system that's in cars for iPhones and whatnot. And like GM just announced that they're stopping to use CarPlay because what they're realizing is that everything is being commoditized. Your margins are just, you know, going poof. And so, you know, is there a difference? Well, I think you, you got to think about it, but more of like full cycle, meaning there may not be a difference on, on day of purchase, but three years in when you're at, you know, 60, 50,000 miles, and you got to get it repaired, what's going to be more expensive? What's going to be less expensive? What's going to need a repair within three years if you want maintaining? Are the parts going to be available? How much will the parts cost? How much will the service cost? Like there's all these other questions you have to think of. Look, yes, there's a difference between cars and quality till this day. But I do think that, you know, you really have to think about, you know, the full, the full life cycle of that car and just the future of it, because that's when, you know, things really do matter, especially as we've dealt with all these, you know, shortages and whatnot. It's, you know, like I, I just tweeted about my friend that had a Range Rover 
and it broke his windshield in California, went to go get it replaced. The Range Rover dealer just couldn't get it for like a couple months and told and just told, hey, I'm just going to take you out of the lease because I can't get a windshield for the Range Rover and I'm not putting an aftermarket one. And they took him out of the lease. And so it's crazy. Like, you, like, I, you, like think about it. If you were considering buying a Range Rover right now and you knew that, like, that's a, you know, that's kind of like, this incentivizes you in a way. Like, I don't want to buy a car where I need to go get it serviced. I might have to lose that car. And it's just, it's annoying. I don't want to deal with that. So there's just a lot of things to consider nowadays when buying a car. It's gotten really, really confusing for many people. That's such great insight, Ashley. Blah, did you yeah. have a question? Yeah, I was going to ask, is this a related, but kind of digging into the business side of it. Like, you've obviously been in the business for a long time. I'm just curious, like, as the internet has, you know, given us transparency in prices and, you know, anyone could go on and look at, I need a, a Honda of this model, this age, this number of miles, and there should be obviously a range, I'm assuming, right, that people can look at. So I'm curious, as a used car, used car dealership, like, what does that business look like in, in reality? Like, you know, what, I'm just curious, like, you, how does it generally flow in terms of you know, how many cars are you typically getting in a day or a week and how many actually sitting there percentage-wise? And, like, what are those margins typically? Is it quite a yeah. broad margin or is it, like, a very standard thing across the board? Look, it's a very low-margin business, right? Like, dealers, their net margin is, like, 3 to 5%, depending on, you know, I'm, I'll give you, like, rough averages. And that's net. Um, you know, gross margins, you know, depends, can be, you know, 10% plus minus on the car. That's on the actual car. Well, the, the, sorry, the gross margin on the actual vehicle, you know, can be even lower. It can be five to 7%, even, even lower than that in some cases. So, you know, barely any margin on, the, on selling a used car there. Uh, the gross margin on products, you know, like warranties and all that is much higher. You're making like 40 to 60% typically. And so that's where dealers, you know, kind of make their profit, you could say. But look, all in all, I think that, the whole Twitter ecosystem is very different than the reality of America. Like there's a lot of really great dealers out there that are very rep reputable and, you know, really provide a great experience. You know, I know a lot of them. I also know some dealers that provided lousy experience and I would never wish my enemy to buy from them. The, the problem that with, <clears throat> with the industry is not the dealership system per se, but it's <clears throat> that it's so, so fragmented. You have so many different dealers, you know, it's, it's not the centralized. And so, you know, everyone runs in operations in different ways. And so, but at the end of the day, you know, I think that a good dealer that's involved in their local community, like will always have an edge in the market because, you know, think about it. Like you want to buy a car, you want to have a place to take that car somewhere you trust, you know, relationships really do matter. Um, I, I've been very, very a big proponent of like, you know, online car buying and, you know, kind of innovating on that within our group as well. And, you know, really giving people a better way to buy a car remotely, but I still see consistently, you see that with the insights, the anecdotes and the data that people want to be able to do a lot of it online, the car purchase, but they don't want to actually, you know, you know, complete the deal online. They want to come in, they want to, you know, speak with someone that's knowledgeable and, you know, complete the deal that way. So I don't think that's going to change in time. Look, Carvana's, Carvana will restructure, they'll do whatever needs to be done, but they're not going to go away. There will always be a pocket for that, you know, customer that only wants to buy online. But the reality is majority of Amer America still wants to have that, you know, connection to that dealer just for, you know, if I need to bring in it for service, someone I can call, someone I can trust and whatnot. Now, the flip side is if, if you if you can't trust that person, then yeah, that's a problem where right? you're not going to want to deal with that place and you won't give them your business. Well, that was a great question because I, I, Carvana was one of the things that we did want to talk about was, so car dealers forgot, you mentioned that uh, you think there's a lot of benefit to going online, you're trying to push your own business online. Could you actually walk through the pros and cons of going online, you kind of mentioned a bit of it, people want to close the deal in person, but then what is actually the value for 
a company that could nail everything in the online experience, how much could that company actually be worth? Because we've always seen Carvana took a massive uh, drawdown. But like, what is, if it nailed every piece of the pie, what does that actually look like as a company? Yeah, so I just did a podcast on this with a guy that sold his company to Carvana. So check it out. I'm going to give a quick shameless plug here, but Car Dealership Guy podcast, number one automotive podcast on Apple and everyone else. But, <laughs> there um, we go. Get love it, it. Get I love it, get the it. pitch. <laughs> no, but it also, so I just did a pot on this. And here's the thing, right? Online car buying typically favors, or it's typically best for people with, you know, like bad credit, challenged credit, uh, because they really don't have many options when they go to the dealership, right? So they're shopping for financing. They're not necessarily shopping for a car. The car is secondary. They care about, can I get financed first? And so online car buying is super easy, right? It's not embarrassing. You do it from the comfort of your home. Um, again, because you're, you're financing first, car second, like you're not as concerned about like what car you're going to buy because you just need a car. And so online car buying is a really great solution for people that have, you know, a sub or near prime credit. Doesn't mean that it's not good for people with good credit. It just means that people with good credit have gr really great options, right? You're competing with the Mercedes dealer down the street. You're competing with the CPL programs, the certified pre-owned. And, you know, you come in and, you know, they, they fucking shine your shoes and do whatever they want. And to earn your business for life, you have that service department. Like, like it's so, so comfortable and convenient. You can call someone at any time. So I just think that online car buying is, you know, it is very easy and simple and for the most part. But remember, like, you don't know what you're going to get until you get it. So, you know, yeah, you can you return the car? Of course you can. But there are some downsides where, you know, again, it takes time to do all that. And so I just think it's better for that, you know, kind of challenge credit consumer for the most part. Although I do overall believe that there's a big market for it. It's going to, there's going to remain a market for it. Carvana had has nailed the experience. They haven't nailed the business model, uh, but yeah, I, I do think Carvana's just done a really great job with the overall customer experience. For this type of business, then it's more of a fintech play in that sense. Like that's where the value will be driven, as you because you said first is a kind of the credit of uh, yeah, the car it's itself. It's definitely like financing. You can't really sell a car online if you don't have proper financing hooked up. And so, so the best you know quote unquote online dealers are dealers that have their financing directly integrated because otherwise you're like, you can't give people real information. You're just giving them like dummy numbers and it's not really helpful. It just delays the entire purchase process and you're feeding the customer wrong information. There's been a bunch of startups out there that are trying to you know digitize the online car buying experience for dealers and give them financial connections, but it just, nothing is really full spectrum. Meaning like I haven't seen a software yet that really works well with bad credit, good credit, you know, in between. And the reason is because people are messy. Life's, life is messy. And, you know, someone comes in and they've been at their job for two months and then they fill out your online application and they say they've been there for nine months, and but they made a mistake. It's just like, it's really, really tough to get, you know, every customer to input the right information and to get the proper underwriting done if you just buy a car online and you don't go into the dealership. No, that makes a lot of sense, man. On the on the online side, you know, when you're talking and explaining like Carvana's like actual, the stack of where it has prioritized, it kind of reminded me of like Cash App with Square and Block, or I guess Block now. It's like, obviously people have always said, you know, Square uh, and Cash App has such low customer acquisition, but a lot of that has to be because they're going after people that aren't banked already. Yep. and would have difficult going in person to get that bank. So does that actually reduce, like, so it goes back to my initial question. I'm not asking for like stock tips on Carvana, but it's like, does it actually mean that Carvana's ceiling as a company is actually quite limited because of the, the 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 client set that they will ultimately cater to? Yeah. So here's the secret that like you know lots of people don't know, but like we can we can double our sales tomorrow. We can. It just means that we're going to be lending. You know, we're going to be making stupid loans to people that are not going to get paid back, right? So that's the thing. When you control your lending, 
now what your accountability, your checks and balances is ultimately like if you're like a, you know, Corvada, let's say, ultimately you have to sell those loans to the market as asset backed securities. And so that's your, you know, checks and balances. But, but, you know, I'm, I'm just talking about like generally speaking as a, as a, as a dealer, if you do your own financing, it's called buy your pay here. It's a really a function of underwriting because if you have, you know, really loose underwriting and you're just letting everyone buy a car, yeah, you'll double your sales in a month, but no one's going to pay you back. And so that's how you got to think about it. And, you know, there are, you know, to that point, like there are a lot of ways where you can, you know, sort of quote unquote game the system because you're in the lending business. And because remember the customer is coming to you, they're not coming and saying, I might want to buy a car. They're saying, I need a car. Can you get me finance? That's the pre-qualifying question. It's not, I want, you know, my name is Tron. I want this, you know, whatever Chevy, this Toyota. No, it's, it's my, it's, I need financing. Can you get me financing? By the way, if you get me financing, then I'm going to likely buy a car from you. That makes a lot of sense, man. Oh, did you follow up on that? Uh, no, no, I was just going to uh, move on to the next thing, but did you have anything else before we moved on to? No, but, but I was trying to actually squeeze out, should I buy Gone. Corvette or not? I'm, I'm yeah. not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like the way you said, uh, I'm not trying to get free stock tip advice, but <laughs> I, I mean, it's a bit like the name of the podcast, you know, it's like. No, but uh, we know Colin, we know car dealership guy's a responsible player in this industry. He's not going to be giving you stock tip advice. Industry, yeah. Not yeah, financial like the, Nancy, the Nancy Pelosi of uh, the car dealership world. <laughs> Got the inside only, info. Only the name of this podcast was non-financial advice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to ask about um, specific companies or specific manufacturers because I know uh, I read that you mentioned um, German cars specifically that you recommend not buying them used. Could you explain a little bit more about why, yeah, why well, that's the case? People hate on me for this, right? <laughs> but, but it's a tale as old as time. I mean, look, first of all, to be clear, my wife has been driving a German car, although it's pretty much a new car, low mile. So, you know, it's kind of cheating, cheating down the system here. But no, in all seriousness, look, we've had, you know, a service facility for many years. I've seen a lot of cars come and go. We've crunched numbers. I don't even need to crunch numbers. I've, I've been there. I've seen the oil leaks myself in my own eyes. I've touched the oil with my own fingers. I can tell you that German cars, they just, they just fucking suck on reliability and you can't abuse them as easily as you can abuse like an Asian car, you know, like take a Toyota, like you can <laughs> not change down oil for a very long time and that thing is going to run and it might not like it, but it's going to run. It won't leak. And, and again, I'm not saying you shouldn't maintain your car. You should maintain your car. But the reality is you do the same thing to a German car. It's like a high maintenance, like diva, like right away, the leaks start, you know, this goes bad. It's super expensive to repair. It just, everything, everything about it sucks. And so I always say like, if you're going to buy German, try to buy it under warranty, please, you know, buy it under like 50,000 miles. If you want to get, you know, enough life out of it. It doesn't mean that, you know, the one person listening to this pod right now will be like, oh, but I've had a, tw a 2007 BMW <laughs> that's at 250,000 miles and never had an issue. Yeah, I get it. That's going to happen if you take care of your car. But for the most part, you know, you buy these cars, these BMWs and whatnot, you know, over 60, 70,000 miles that were not like immaculate, perfectly maintained, they're going to have issues and it doesn't end. And so I'm just not a fan, you know, when it comes to affordability, when it comes to peace of mind, I don't want to be in the service facility every month. Oh, and, that's a great point. And yeah. And then the last thing I'll say, like, look, if you have the money, you have the time and you really like want to optimize for like fun, well, then German cars are the thing because they're much more sportier for the most part, you know, a lot more performance and, you know, they, they spoil you in that sense. So you just have to, you know, it's, uh, it just depends if you're up for that or not. Is this the same in like Europe? And again, this might sound like a super uh, amateur question here. And I don't know how much exposure and stuff you have to, to European ahead. side of things. But obviously, we're like, let's say in the UK where I grew up, 
we're much closer to Germany location-wise. Um, and again, this might sound really stupid, but is there the same trade-off just being in Europe versus it being in the US because you have to transport the cars way further? Um, I don't I'm know. Just cause... I, yeah, you're saying like if the product is different. I mean, I can tell you that. Like, I or even like it... the prices, if the prices end up being slightly Supply more affordable. Supply chain's closer, and more parts yeah. are available. You know, I, I, I really am not sure. That's a great question. I can tell you that. I'll give you like a funny example, like an uh, unrelated example, but like, you know, we buy a shitload of baby formula right now for the babies. And the, the formula in Europe is like clean. It doesn't have any like stupid, like crap oils in it. The formula in the US is like trash. And so, you know, maybe there's like some other like regulations that impact like cars that are brought to the US that I'm Oh, that's to, a good point. You know, I get a completely unrelated examples that yeah, like yeah. mine. But I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I would assume, you know, parts costs are cheaper there and stuff like that. I guess my assumption. So, you know, maybe there's more technicians that are well-versed in those cars over there as well that, you know, that you could fix them, repair them for cheaper. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't take away, at least from the fact that the ones in U.S. soil, man, these things leak like crazy. All yeah. I know for sure is if I see a Corolla or a Civic, I know that thing's going to last for 20 years. Unbelievable. <laughs> I thought, Trung, you were going to say they look like me in the car seat. So, uh, but no, because no, growing up for me, that was like, that's when you know you're balling out. You know, you you moved Dude, up no, to the Corolla. Corolla. And Civics, man, is like, actually, car dealership guy, I had a question for you. So, yeah. Vancouver, uh, some dealerships actually dissuade people from buying Corollas and Civics because of how often they're stolen. Because obviously, there's oh, so yeah, many. Oh, yeah, I saw this. It was a recent story as well, like something about the, the something outside that people are taking, right? Well, no, that, that's a catalytic converter. Oh, that's for the, uh, that's for, uh, the, well, we should ask about that too. But I mean, like, this is me. I'm an N of one, obviously. But like the variable of this car is so abundant on the streets that it's it's attractiveness as a, 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 a carjacking target or a grand theft target is uh, is something to think about or totally ridiculous question. We've had, no, we've had like Mopar products, like the high end, like uh, uh, Dodge and you know, like the Hellcats, these like really sporty Dodge Chargers and whatnot. Like we've had Challengers, we've had them stolen. Uh, we've had plenty of cars stolen over the years, let me be clear. Um, that had just part of being in the business. Um, you know, other things like, for example, like Mitsubishis are notorious for having their cats catalytic converters stolen because they're super easy to pry out. The car, the Outlanders are pretty high off the ground, so you can kind of slide under there really easily. Um, so, you know, we've had issues with that. Then there's the Kias and the Hyundais that now, you know, TikTok trend where you can like break into them and turn them on right away and start getting them started. So we've had those stolen. It's it's crazy. I mean, there's always a new thing, but but there isn't like one car that I can tell you like notoriously is like, you know, I think you were saying like overabundant or something, or, you know, there isn't anything specific that's over the years been consistently stolen. It's just, it's always what's trendy at the time for what reason and, and whatnot. Yeah, fair enough, man. Uh, that wasn't end of one then. Maybe that's just a Vancouver thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, when I remember growing up, we would, uh, the old Mercedes, you know, you'd have the, the Mercedes sign on the outside. I don't know if they still do that. But literally, yeah. the, my, my, across the road from where I went to school, we had like a family friend. And he had this old Mercedes parked outside. And literally, that thing got taken off like 20 times. And you'd have to just keep replacing <laughs> yeah, it. And I, I'd I see dudes wearing it on a chain. Like, that would be, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if that yeah, was. Did, uh, did you yeah, see that meme? I forget who posted the other day, but it was like loafers, like shoes. And then they posted like the they put like the Cadillac emblem on top of it. Oh, that's the <laughs> it, really it was a really good meme. Wait, car dealership guy, I had a question here that we didn't touch. It was actually one of my main questions. They're kind of alluded to at the beginning. So, can you talk us through lease 
are financed, like lease or buy. And the reason I bring this up is because if you listen to enough rap songs, rappers love saying that this car is not a lease. <laughs> they like they got them. No, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're not leasing this whip. Go to if you go to Rap Genius or I guess Genius.com, just search lease in the lyric. It's like dozens of songs talk. We're yeah. not leasing this car. Well, Rap Genius, they got the domain Genius.com. That's huge. Yeah, it's crazy. Fine. I mean, guess not great for the, the business. Never really turn it around, but go search. <laughs> go search lease. In Rap Genius, you, you have will. a good time. Look, leasing versus buying is a very much a, it's like a lifestyle play. You're If you're leasing, right, at the end of those three years, you have nothing left to show for that money. And if you're buying, you do have something left to show. First of all, leasing is down roughly 30% since pre-COVID. It's, again, a function of uh, interest rates, supply, um, you know, availability of cars. You know, manufacturers have preferred to sell the car. So again, that's made leasing even more attractive. You know, when you don't have enough cars, you have to pick or choose. It's it's, it's not down over 30%. It was about over over 30% pre, pre-pandemic of, of market penetration. You know, one in three cars were roughly leased and now it's in the low teens. So it's down well over 50%, if anything. But look, the way leases are structured also is important to know is like, a lease is really a function of a couple of things. It's like an, it's called a net cap cost, which is just you know the agreed upon cost of the car. Then there's a residual value, which is how much you know what are they assuming the car will be worth at the end of the lease. And then you add those two up and you multiply them by a money factor, which is another fancy term for an interest rate in the leasing world. Uh, it's a, a derivative of an interest rate. It's really confusing the way leases are calculated, probably on purpose, so that people won't know what the hell they're getting into. But at the end of the day, I like to say like. If you're optimizing for lifestyle, lease a car. If you're optimizing um, for value, buy a car. And the reason I say that, by the way, that was a great tweet. I've tweeted it plenty of times and it always hit. But the reason I say that is because, you know, you buy a car, you got to, you know, worry about your maintenance. It's a product that you really own. There's a lot of things you got to think through. You're going to own it for probably many years. And when you lease a car, you know, like they do the service for you. You know, you don't have to worry too much about the car because you're returning it in three years. Typically, you would have a lower payment um, So than then, uh, when you're buying a car, which is, again, another reason why it's been so attractive, although that's also sort of diminished over the last couple of years. So it's really a function of like a lifestyle play. What's more important to you? And um, yeah, I mean, for everyone, it's it's different. Ultimately, the calculus of the decision, why they want to lease or buy it. That's a, that's a great, uh, I guess, very comparable to rent versus own, right? Not not exactly, but similar to housing, you mean, yeah. Well, I, think, my, I think the difference there is that like when you rent, like that sort of buys you optionality. And I when you lease, like I don't know if it's buying you optionality because you're still locked in a lease. You know, you could always just sell your car. So it's a bit it's similar, but yeah, it's much easier to sell a car than sell a house, right? So yeah. A lot less closing also, costs. It's easier too. to have it repossessed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, go on, Trung, you, you about yeah, to say something? I was just going to ask uh, the the other uh, the other uh, overarching item that we didn't touch on, uh, because I know that our car dealership guys got about 10 more minutes here, was, uh, and, and Curtis, I believe this might have been your last episode, or two of your last three episodes. Definitely check out the podcast, people. I'm shilling <laughs> the podcast now. Yeah, shill, shill away. Your car dealership guys, keep going, man. Don't stop. Uh, <laughs> Yo, you saw, you saw Elon, so Elon commented all that day. Yeah, damn. there we go. Right. Congratulations on the Elon follow. I mean, well, first of all, you're the you're the Elon master over here. I mean, he comments <laughs> on all your shit like nonstop. Uh, wait, wait, listen, we're just gonna keep the memes out there. Have a good time on Twitter, right? Not to get too serious. Car dealership guy, uh, can you talk about Tesla's place in the new and used car world? Uh, Tesla also obviously has a very different model to the dealership and the existing model. What do you kind of see as? What call pros and cons? If you look at how Tesla has come to the market. Uh, it's gone direct to consumer, uh, non-traditional uh, dealership style, just the car itself. Where do you see uh, 
where it deserves kind of this premium and this crazy tech valuation that it has gotten and where you are maybe less sold on that type of uh, uh, premium that it does get. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is such a confusing topic. There's like so much info on this and there's a lot of people who are much smarter than me as well about this whole world. And so I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm still at a point where I'm just learning a lot about it every single day. Um, it's just so fast paced, you know, with the changes. Look, I, I come, you know, I care about the business, the car world, and, you know, I'm just, that's something marking what's happening with EVs versus, you know, regular kind of combustion vehicles. There's a couple of things that are very notable, right? Like if you look at like, for example, CarMax just put out a report the other day where they said like the search volume for the word electric on their website doubled from February 20, 2023. Um, and there, I can show you plenty of other studies that show that, you know, there is more interest in EVs overall. Here's the issue that I have. We still don't know what's like the kind of the market equilibrium for demand for EVs because there's you know been all these subsidies, the tax credits, and so it just it's hard to know. Again, it doesn't matter whether you're pro EV or you're anti EV or whatever. I just it, we don't really know yet like what EVs will look like long term, right? Right now they're about like I think like seven or eight percent market share of all cars on the road. Um, you know, I spoke with someone on recently that said that he thinks they're going to peak at 25%. I spoke with someone that thinks 50%. I know people that think 100% by like 2030. Everyone has different, you know, perspective and outlook on this. And I'm sort of in the camp right now that they're going to keep growing. I don't think they're going to get to, like, I don't think they're going to eclipse 50%. Um, that I, at least I, you know, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, it could happen, but I think at the end of the day, you know, I think it's, it's a trend that's super notable. Like, you know, there's a lot of investment going into the space. Um, a, a, large, a large pocket of consumers really like it, but I'm still in the camp of that there had, there's going to be a balance. You know, we're not going to just make this like seismic shift to one technology over another. Um, and, you know, and if it happens, it's, I think it's going to take longer than we expect. Uh, but there's just still a lot of, you know, issues that need to be solved. You know, like charging networks still need to be, you know, upgraded. And, um, you know, I think there's like a stat that like one in four chargers don't work right now or something like that. So again, these are all normal parts of a you know normal innovation curve. Like things are not going to work perfectly, and things will get improved over time. And EVs are definitely growing really quickly. But I just think that it's a it's a big market out there, and to make these you know crazy proclamations that like one or the other are going to go away, I think I think that's foolish. I think that the smart brands are closely benchmarking what's happening in this world, making an investment because you don't want to fall behind, right? Like you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. But just not, you know, making any like, you know, hard leap in one direction or the other, rather assessing consumer demand. And as people, more people buy and more people desire them, then you increase your investment in that space. That's at least my thing. That's a, that's a very fair uh, uh, kind of overview. So then the question I have, uh, which is more uh, micro to Tesla itself is, uh, you wrote, I mean, when they did those big, I guess they're on the third big price cut now. Uh, so for the listeners that don't know, I think Tesla... Uh, I guess model uh, the model Y has gone down by as much as twenty plus percent. Is that right for the entry model? Yeah, I, it's gone up and down several times. I mean, what I tweeted about it, it was down about twenty percent. Okay, so it's likely still down just around, and that's I think it was yeah twenty percent. Um, in yeah, a couple months back. And the TLDR that you kind of wrote was uh, I think your initial assessment, and this may have changed because I think uh, I, I'm I'm referencing something you wrote like, two to three months ago, one of the earlier price cuts. Is you said you think this is a good move. Uh, for them to secure market share. I don't know if you still feel that way. But then the other part I want to ask of that question was the argument that Elon is making is that they'll make it back on software um, and, you know, kind of controversially on 
with self-driving and autonomy, 5, 10, 15, whatever, how many years, if it ever does come to, to market fully formed the way that, uh, that they envision it. Uh, how do you feel about that play? Cutting the, the card itself, getting as many out there as possible, trying to make the margins back on software. I think that long-term, like, I mean, I like, I like what he's doing with trying to get cars into consumers' hands. Like, I like that, he's, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, giving up margin today for more market share, I just think is a good move if you're playing the long-term game. If you're constrained, you know, cash flow in the short term and you're, you know, really trying to please the street or whatever, then I think, you know, then you have to get those optimized, over-optimized for cash flow today. But I think like if I was in that boardroom, I think that I would be supportive of that. And I think what he's saying is like, he's he's going for that, like, you know, and just outsized outcome, not, I mean, they're already an outsized outcome, but like, he's just going for that like next level, you know, like market domination. And I think that he has to sort of deliver what he's claiming to get there, right? Like he'll never, he won't stay where, the, the company won't stay where, I'm, I'm not on, you know, stock market, financial, whatever, but like, I, do, I don't think the car, the, the, the the Tesla would stay where it's at from a valuation perspective if it doesn't ultimately deliver on all these, you know, software uh, advantages and, you know, and, and all that extra and all that profit and earns that profitability. So I just think that I think it's the right play. I think it's an asymmetrical bet that's super differentiated in the market. And look, I've, if we've learned one thing about Elon, you can love him or hate him or whatever, the guy's done the unimaginable in just so many respects, running like 50 fucking companies and putting shit on the moon and whatnot, like, it's just unbelievable. And so, you know, people look and like bash at the, you know, things he's doing on Twitter and this and that. At the end of the day, like, building a company is a messy process. And, you know, there's very, you know, specific qualities that, you know, make you successful. And I just think that I'm, I just wouldn't bet against it. Doesn't mean I'd like the stock and I'd buy it if I was an active trader right now. I don't know. I've, you know, it's, it's still, you know, valued a lot more. It's a lot richer at the valuation than other uh, auto brands, but it does have a lot of advantages uh potentially and it just take we'll see time will tell if those are going to manifest into real earnings down the line last question on the tesla front and this is more directly car related uh is the cyber truck i i'm the position of it super interesting <laughs> right is like because uh for the listeners i mean i know like f f-150 correct me if i'm wrong is a best-selling truck in america for the last 40 years so like that class of car is extremely profitable. I, I, you cut off for a second. Say it one more time. The, the, so the, uh, the F-150, uh, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, is the best-selling car over the past four decades. So right. like best-selling, yep. Yeah, so this type of car, like having a car in that category is extremely important. And like, wh- what do you think about the Cybertruck's prospects? Yeah, I mean, so a couple of things, right? Like I, I also, I tweeted an image a couple months back as well that showed that like most people that buy pickup trucks don't even use them for their purpose, first of all, right? So like, I think culturally we love trucks and we like, you know, big SUVs and all these things. And um, America is like a truck country. You know what I mean? Like it's trucks are go to the South, like every other car is a truck. Um, but I, I look, I think ultimately again, in Elon fashion, like, you know, comes out with a very differentiated product, you know, polar, very polarizing. Some people hate it. Some people love it. And, you know, builds a cold following. I think it's going to do well. I just think that, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's good to have a truck. They need, you know, different, bigger vehicles. And um, I think that ultimately, like you said, Ford F-150 best-selling, you know, car or vehicle in the U.S. for many, many decades in a row. I, I think it's a good move. And whether it's the Cybertruck or not within 10 years, I think just having one of those large SUVs is, is the right play, especially for the U.S. consumer.
It is absolutely mind-blowing to me how many F-150s are in the States, it's insane, man. It's wild. Yeah. yeah, dude. It's um, Ford, you know, they've been around for a while. They're also having their struggles right now. I, I just posted about Jeep this morning that they're really having their struggles and they have their work cut out for them. All the domestic brands, I mean, you know, I think GM is probably doing the best right now. Like everyone's, you know, domestic brands are not doing too hot, but these things are cyclical. You know, these companies have been around for decades and, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll figure it out. Bilal, you want to you wrap up some rapid fire? I just want to ask yeah, Carlos you guys some favorites. Hit me. Yeah, no, go go for it, Trunk. Go for it. Oh, yeah, I'll just, super great. What's your favorite car ever? Um, I'm going to go with car that I owned. I'll just answer it that way. But I, I'll tell you, I was going to tell you this earlier, but I, in college, I needed like a really, really cheap car and we traded in this like 1993 Toyota Corolla for like, I think it was like for like 300 bucks or something. And dude, I whipped that thing to, I, I whipped that thing, you know, throughout um, when I was in, still in university, you know, college at the time, and it was great. So that's, I'm, I'm going to go with did, that car. Did you have a massive subwoofer in the back or what, what was the, <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. were there some rims on that thing, man? man was it the 8 CD changer? You remember when you had the, <laughs> yeah. the 8 CD changer in like the bottom? Oh man, when you'd have the packet of CDs in the, in the, the thing, you exactly got like 200 of Incredible. Yeah. So, okay, that's good. Uh, is there a car, a book you'd recommend about the car industry? The Future of, Autom of, of Automotive Retail by Steve Greenfield. Yeah. Nice. That sounds academic. <laughs> yeah. No, it's actually, it's, it's a good one. He, he also, I, I, I was on my podcast the other day. Okay. So okay. It's, um, you know, I spoke about it, but it's a really good book. It tells you about like what to expect for future. Okay, those are those are my only two car related questions. Blah, did you want to finish off on anything? I guess I was gonna ask, but I mean, notoriously the car businesses, there's so many crazy characters. I mean, like one of my favorite TV shows growing up, there was a character who was a um was a car dealership guy and he was just one of the best characters of all time. So I'm just curious, like if if I was saying like all the time you've worked in this world, are there like some crazy stories or or people that you've met that you're like, Oh my god, I can't believe this person exists? I'm just curious if, if anyone comes to mind or in the car business yeah or like stories where you're like i can't believe that yeah. just happened today i mean dude like this is a horse business this is retail this is like that you know you're like in the trenches with people and you get you know people from all walks of life i remember working with uh, another salesperson um you know nice, nice latino guy really funny and like one day he just like disappears and like we're looking for him and dude he's just like banging customer in one of the cars and so this is a PG podcast. Yeah. Is this the cold warning. open right there? <laughs> right at the end of the show? No, you can you can believe that, dude. But I'm just saying that's, that's, that's incredible. incredible. The most cool. wild wow. shit. That's objectively most... funny content. That's hilarious, yeah, I mean, man. It was just the most wild shit happens in this business, dude. Oh when my you, goodness, dude! I read yeah. that you found this is another one. I found you you found five thousand dollars in twenty dollar bills. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Or yeah, something. Not twenty dollar bills. No, we we found um we found a bunch of like pennies and quarters underneath like the carpet in the car. And dude, it was unbelievable. <laughs> Bro, imagine finding a car that it's it's made out of pennies. That's what it felt like. It was oh just like oh my god, that's dude. so funny. I don't dude, even know how they like weighing the car down. Can you imagine that? Unbelievable, dude. Unbelievable. You Crazy. remember the song Lloyd? Bangs, Beamer, Benz, and Bentley. Oh, oh yeah. Do you remember the <laughs> remix he did about the drug dealer cars? It was called like Camry Civics, uh, what's it called? Camry Civics Pontiac. Like, that's what I was thinking when I saw that tweet. You got 20, I'm not saying it was a drug dealer, but you're telling me there's a wad of 5K <laughs> with 20s? All signs point. I think to, we can uh, uh, make an educated yeah. guess there. Wait, yeah. so uh, I got one more question. How true is that the, the classic meme about car dealers? 
uh, and, and used car salesmen where they'll slap the hood of a car, be like, this bad boy will get you 20. <laughs> Yo, that is the funniest. Like when they, when somebody applies that meme to like a house or like a stock, yeah. it just makes me cry, dude. This bad boy right here will get you 20 bucks. Dude, you, you still really do have like the stereotypical eccentric salespeople do exist. But much like much less than than you know, I'd say like ten years ago, twenty years ago. Because, bro, like you gotta realize, dude, like Gen Z and stuff, like you know, younger crowds coming to buy cars, they eat cars. Like no one wants to deal with that. You know the meme with like the shoe, the shoes, like the car dealer with the slacks. The, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know that one's also epic. Like, dude, I, I I've worked with I've worked with some of those, but it, it's been a while, dude. Like that's dude. Like the new school car people are very different. Like these okay. guys are. Yeah, and gals, I mean, they're like dressed like, you know, like sleek. They're, it's just not what you'd expect. Like, it's not your stereotypical, like old school salesperson anymore like it used to be. Yeah, they're getting you to buy the extended warranty no matter what. Like, you're buying. <laughs> Dude, yo, I got to tell you, man, the people that sell you the extended warranty, that is a fucking craft. Like, yo, I, I worked with people that would not show you, they would not let you come into room when they were showing the customer that sale, when they were going through that sale. They just didn't want anyone to know their secrets. It the, was art all... of the art of the deal, man. That's the art of the deal. Dude, right you go there. into that office, you're not you're not leaving without a warranty. I'm telling you, unbelievable what some of these guys would do. Incredible. I, you got me down one, but I promise this is the last one. The, this ahead. is it. Talk me through the lemon problem because of what you just mentioned. It's changed so much, right? The lemon problem for most listeners, you know, is like, it's the idea of if you're in a used car lot, you, the asymmetric information, right? The person that had the car and is giving back to the dealership, the assumption is they know something's, they might know something's wrong with the car or they might just want to get rid of it. But across all the buyers, the best bet is for everyone to think the same way. It's like, there's probably something wrong with this. So the used vehicle takes a fat discount based on this kind of game theory. Does that change with the internet, price comparison, and kind of this new wave of car dealerships that you've mentioned? So Lemon Law, Lemon Law affects new cars. Basically, like if you buy like a faulted new car, you know, there's some X, Y, and Z, you can return it. So I don't know, like, it doesn't have an impact on used cars necessarily, but it's just a protection for, for new car buyers. Because, you know, there are new cars that you buy, it's just like anything, any, you know, machine, some of them just don't work. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I have a good answer for that question, but I think that, you know, overall, I mean, listen, just like, you got to do your diligence for buying any car, got to do your homework and, you know, hopefully you got to check it by a mechanic. Or if you're buying from someone that's extremely reputable, you should still check it. Uh, but, you know, you want to know that they, they stand behind their product and they'll be there for you if you need them after the fact. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Hello? I think, no, I feel, I was just going to say, did we hit your time? I know you had a hot stop, so I uh, don't want to make no, you dude, late for your yes, next this was This was awesome. I had a ton of fun. And, yeah, great uh, to have you on, man. Yeah, it's good to finally connect, you know, not over the bird app. Yeah. So, exactly. Right, so thanks a lot for coming on. I, I can, I can it, tell man. you after almost 120 episodes that, that dealership story you just told. About the incident in the car. That's the first time we've ever heard that story. Oh, it was, um, <laughs> dude. Dude, I had more. I mean, I, if I, if I just think, but the craziest stuff happens in retail business. I'm telling anyone that's listening to this that's in retail in some way, you know, shape or form, like they'll tell you. I mean, dude, there was just this, oh, yeah. black, you know, like a Toyota dealership in California where like the two managers were like fighting, just like beating each other to shit. You probably saw that on Twitter. And listen, th that stuff just makes up, puts it, gives the industry a bad name. Like it's, I, I, I actually reposted then I deleted it, but I just yeah. felt, I was like, you know what? Like this is just bad karma. Like there's so many fucking dealerships out there that like really do care and try hard and you know, they know the stigma and they want to break it so bad and they can't because that kind of shit goes viral and it just makes such a bad name. So listen, find a good reputable dealer, 
you know, someone that has you know, a really good reputation. Sorry, I can't sell you a car. I had the thousand DMs I've gone. I'm just not, I'm not doing that game right now. I'm probably going to start retailing to the Twitterverse, maybe one day. But, uh, you know, find a good dealer and, you know, I'm sure you'll be happy. Amazing, man. Respect, Thank you, man. dude. Thanks for coming on, sharing all that wisdom with us, man. Thanks, we'll do this Jazz. again. This great. All right, guys. Um, good, good talk and uh, we'll be in touch. Yep. Thanks a lot, Cardinal. Thank you, easy, man. Uh, all right, what's Bilal. Up? Should we uh, wrap it up here, but we're gone. You're going to say? Well, we'll just leave this for the inside baseball to listeners. Uh, I love that, man. I love getting the inside scoop. Yeah, no, uh, it's amazing. I mean, we didn't fully get to cover it with him because of the time, but like before we started recording, you were talking about like super niche content businesses, basically. And that is exactly like you can tell he knows the business inside out. You can see from his writing and he's, he gets the culture of Twitter and he gets the culture of the internet that you'll throw in the memes as well. So I think like what he's doing is incredible. And there's, there's like a few of those, right? Like the something, something guy or yeah, something, like something girl. Yeah, like home guy or like uh, yeah. mortgage guy. But like we didn't even mention it on the podcast. So they? He went from like zero to 400,000 Twitter followers in like a year. Insane. And uh, That's wild, built, right? That's wild. insane. Wild. Built like a number one podcast in the auto category. I've listened to a couple of episodes. They're really informative. Yeah, they know their shit, right? You can tell. Yeah, they know their shit back and front. I mean, it's like. It's stuff that we talk about every week about, uh, I mean, it's such a, uh, being a dead horse at this point about media, is like 10 years ago, you would need like a journalist from Wall Street uh, Journal or the Times or Financial Times to cover the auto industry. Man, car dealership guy, he's in yeah. the industry. He knows it inside out. Yeah, he's got the tools out. to go direct. Exactly. And then carves out five to 10 hours a week, builds a massive audience. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if car dealership guy, like the personality is bigger than, I mean, I don't know how big his existing business is, but it's just like he's growing so fast yeah. and we know it's, how scalable these businesses are yeah definitely and and at, at some point they could probably i don't know fully enough about his other business but just like it's going to help either way right like they're yeah. in the same world and like having that audience is going to help but yeah so uh what else are we going to talk about um, cars let's talk about cars. some family cars we've had did some you ever immigrant... have one of those japanese ones what what was the progression of the fan family what okay, was going dude, on this is great man all right all right we had uh we also had a, just like a car guy, we had a mid-90s Corolla. Then we had a, a, a Nissan Maxima. And then my old man in the 2000s when he was like, you know what? I made some good cheddar as a doctor. Let me upgrade. But he didn't do a proper upgrade. He got the entry-level Mercedes. So it's even not that expensive. Like a hard Accord was as much as the entry-level Mercedes. Uh, but that was his gift to himself after like two to three decades in North America being a doctor. That's what you got to do. That's the, that's the Asia. I mean, we're Asian too, obviously. So we're, that's the crowning achievement. Like, I mean, my dad, <laughs> if you did speak to him, I mean, we eventually had a Mercedes too. And it was like, uh, he, he was dreamed like, oh, when I get to the country, he's working in a factory, he's working KFC. He's like, one day I'm going to have a house where I don't share a wall with someone and I'm going to have a Mercedes. And that's what they did. So good for them. But yeah, ours was- Wait, man, your dad I, also? Your dad also had a Mercedes? Yeah, yeah. They, he had Mercedes for a few times and it was- I think it was, um, well, the, the progression though, which is interesting, we didn't get to talk about this with him, but this idea of what it represents in society and, you know, the brand of it obviously is a big thing. And uh, obviously it's like that in America, but in New York specifically, it's funny, we don't have that as much for me and my friends anyway, because most of us take the subway. So we flex in other ways, basically, right? We all flex in some ways. But uh, we, I remember the, the Mercedes chain. Uh, that the you, Mercedes you, chain, yeah, that you stole. <laughs> no, we had this thing called a Daihatsu Applause. I don't even know Daihatsu oh, if it's around I, or if I that's that owned brand. by. That's Korean, that's Korean. Bro, Daihatsu Applause, it was a gray, like it was a space gray. It was so dead. And uh, I'm not going to lie, like, at one point I had to 
my mum would drop me to school and I, and I would have to get dropped a few blocks off because she would turn the car and it would go click, 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 click. And that was, that was the end of me there. So, so that was the bad one. And then eventually they got like, you know, that used Mercedes, but it was what we call an estate. I don't know what you call that. Is that like a hatchback or something like a... No, but, it was uh, uh, was it just two door, and then you had to go build? No, oh, sorry, not that. Then this is like a this is like a, a four door, but then you've got the thing at the back, so it doesn't look as nice, basically. But my dad always had the excuse like, "Oh, we've got a real estate, we might need to move a, a mattress or something one day, and that will be useful." Then he upgraded to a regular one, and then I think now he has a BMW or something. But oh, and oh, wait, wait, actually, it's Toyota Yaris, which is also again, I know the names are different in Europe versus here. Toyota Yaris is like that tiny car. That was oh, the yeah, first yeah. car I basically landed on and drove. It was no power steering, man. Yours like you're trying to tiny. It's it's the most it's the least baller car you could have. You it's know like I mean? a Fiat. It's, it's like the same size as the Fiat, <laughs> it's right? Right, we I'll be trying to put that <laughs> into the Oh my god, it's the worst, man. No, that but was you embarrassing. Know what's funny is like even though the, uh, I mean you're describing least baller. Like, I drove a Corolla in high school, but like I drove it when I was 15 before I had a driver's license it was so illegal like like actually like because I was pulled over not like it's pulled over twice it's really bad because my parents have to deal with it right it's yeah, like yeah. man like this is like this guy's have insurance I'm sure a lot of people listening have done something like similar in their mid-teens but looking back did how your parents I, know or were you like joyriding in the car <laughs> it was basically joyriding but like they well, the one time I you know I got pulled over and they had yeah, to yeah, yeah. they're just like uh, and they're like you can't do this you don't have insurance so dumb. So I mean, that was the end of that. But um, the thing was like you, you just mentioned the Yaris and has was the literally smaller car. But that wasn't the point though. Whoever was the first driver in their teen years doesn't matter what the oh, car. Oh man, either you way, were, you were the boss. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, that was the best. No, we were literally, oh, and I've for us. I mean, it would be great to get Jack's version of this. Maybe we'll ask him next week. But I know he had some ridiculous cars back in the day, like those. You know, like the rude boys where I grew up would drop the car all the way down and you get this look. It was like Pimp My Ride era, like 2000s. Man, that shit was so Wait, embarrassing. What's a, what's a rude boy? Well, a rude boy is like a bad boy. It's kind of like a, it's just a weird uh, slang phrase. What's for a like a, song? Yeah, yeah well, she, it probably comes from, I mean, not from her, but a similar background like the Caribbean because of the Caribbean diaspora in the UK. But yeah, it's essentially we... It's like kind of the bad boys, but they were kind of cool-ish, depending on what what neighborhood you lived in. But my friend was uh, like doing that at fifteen, like dropped it down, got a ridiculous car, like he was completely like he had the crazy sideburns, you know, like one of those guys. Um, but yeah, it was it was fun though. And I remember my my best friend Kaz. He's now a doctor, which is incredible to think because if you see him at this age, I'm about to say he's like he's like five foot three first of all, and then he has the massive spoiler at the back and like all the stupid you know the sound system where you hear it you can't even hear the music it's just bass hitting you that sort of vibe but yeah made a lot of good times in those first cars you know what i mean Dude, and you maybe we'll keep the so yeah, go we'll, we'll, we'll keep it no one can ask jack about it but like uh well the last thing i'll say is because you mentioned it on previous episodes hit my ride <laughs> Oh my god! What an incredible show, man! No, it's so funny because you're talking about your rude boy buddy. And yeah, that was it, yeah. I was thinking about like Blaza actually mentioned "Pimp My Ride" a couple times on this podcast. But remember that that was that was incredible. It was like cribs and "Pimp My Ride." Yeah, exhibit was great, and then they would put the TVs in the back and like, oh my god, that was so funny. I can't believe oh. that was a show. 
they, they, they imagine they brought something like that back Dude, but that for should, Netflix. they should bring it back from Netflix for 100% man MTV needs to get an act together get that selling going alright anything else before we uh, no that was on, great mate? dude I love well, good throwback to immigrant car history that's uh we should do that more often yeah definitely definitely well thanks for being everyone appreciate you guys hopefully jack will be back next week with us as well and uh let us know what you think of this one we'll see you next week cheers cheers out peace out